Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today's podcast is a continuation of Neville Goddard's lecture from 1954 titled The Three or Three Propositions. So this is the second half of that lecture. Neville continues to tell his audience, imaginative love, where only love guides it is incapable of hearing anything but the lovely. When that being begins to awake, he doesn't see things in pure objectivity. He sees everything subjectively related to himself. He is incapable of meeting a stranger. He may meet one for the first time, but he knows it is not really a stranger. That the man had no power to come into his world, save he from within himself drew him. No man comes unto me, save I call him. No man takes away my life. I lay it down myself. You didn't choose me, I have chosen you. Though you seemingly come now for the first moment in my life, you still don't you still didn't choose me. I have chosen you. I see then every being subjectively related to myself. So in that state you become incapable of hurt. You've overcome all the violence that formerly you've expressed in the world when you were asleep. There's no condemnation to the sleeping man. He is dreaming confusion because he doesn't know who he is, but he begins to awake by such techniques as given you this morning. If you take this technique and you try it consciously, for here I am appealing not to the passive mind that passively surrenders to appearances, I'm appealing to the Christ in you, which is the active conscious use of your lovely imagination. So when you sit down and you predetermine what you want to hear, and you listen until you hear it, and you, and you refuse to hear anything other than that, then you are using the one power in the world that awakens a man, and you are using your lovely imagination, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's a lady this past week. She has heard the story of revision. Her husband calls her, and it's a big deal. It runs into a fortune. He had sent off 600 feet of film to Acme, and they've returned the film. Only the first 300 were good. The second 300 were duds, as they call it. Not a thing was on it, a complete blank, yet they were up against time. That 600 feet of film had to be on a plane headed for Chicago in the immediate present, less than 12 hours away. It had to be there. There was the contract, or that was the contract. And 300 feet of film taken, no sound appeared, but the whole thing a blank. She sat down when her husband called her, desperately called her. She sat on the bed just where she had received the call, put the receiver up, and sat in the silence until she heard within herself that phone ringing and across that wire the same voice, but now not an anxious voice, but a tender, loving voice which was her husband, explaining that the whole thing had been resolved. They had found what seemingly they had lost forever. She sat in the silence for one hour and ten minutes, and there she listened, and she listened until her whole body became still in hearing only what she wanted to hear. And an hour and ten minutes later, while still in the silence, the phone rang. It's her husband calling to say that Acme just called him to explain and excuse themselves. It was their mistake. They had found the missing 300 feet of film, and there was not a dud 
It wasn't a blank. The whole thing was perfect. Now, the average person, not knowing this law of revision or even those knowing it, would have accepted as the final evidence of sense and receiving news that seems so factual, they would have gone into a stew, bawled out acne, and pulled all kinds of wires to correct it. But she heard and she acted upon it. And that's what I mean when I tell you that a little knowledge, if you carry it out in action, will be far more profitable than much knowledge which you neglect to carry out in action. Now, many of you present, and this is no judgment, you have the same knowledge that this lady has. She's been coming here recently, but she heard she attended all the meetings at the Ebel, and she's been here. Undoubtedly, she's here this morning, but at least she came the first two Sundays, and she hasn't missed one at the Ebel. And having heard the art of revision, she acted upon it. Others heard the art of revision. Have you acted upon it? Did you last night allow the sun to descend upon your wrath? Did you sleep last night with any trouble, any vexation unresolved? Or did you last night truly go to bed, having resolved every vexation and trouble of the day? All the little problems, each one must be resolved. You rewrite the play. If you didn't rewrite yesterday's events and make them conform to the ideal you wish you had experienced, then you heard, but you aren't a doer. And so you are told in the Bible, would that ye be doers of the word and not mere hearers only. For if you are a hearer and not a doer, then you are like a man who sees his face in the glass and turns and straightway forgets what manner of man he is. But if you are a doer and not a forgetful hearer, then you shall be blessed with the deed. For you will look into the law of liberty, and you will liberate yourself, and liberating yourself, you shall be blessed with the deed. For those of you who are are Bible students and want to check it, Read the book of James. You will find that story in the first chapter of the epistle of James, where he looks in and liberates himself. Well, she liberated herself by listening until she heard exactly what she wanted to hear. And she heard it one hour and 10 minutes later. Now, the majority of people, I say they would not have acted upon it. Through habit, they would have gone into a stew. They would have fumed and fretted and that every and that very day, had he brought home the negative news that undoubtedly he would have, they both would have slept, allowing the sun to descend upon their wrath. But now you know that there's not a thing on the outside to change. That first proposition is true, that the man's state of consciousness, which simply means all that he accepts, all that he believes, all that he consents to, that. And that alone is the cause of the phenomena of life. Man can change his state of consciousness, and therefore man can determine the conditions of his life. But the passage of time will not in itself do anything. Time is only a facility for changes in experience, but it cannot produce the change. It is simply that which allows changes to take place. 
but it cannot produce them. Space gives us the facility for experience and time for changes in experience, but of themselves they do nothing. We must operate the power, and so the individual, if he doesn't become the operator, then he will wait in vain. So no one here this morning, in fact no one coming here through the year, should ever allow himself to blame another, ever allow himself to justify failure, for he is only betraying his own lack of the use of the law. Anyone that you listen to who is complaining of a third party, he has no idea how he is betraying himself. He is telling you of his own unwashed dishes within himself, but he doesn't know it. He thinks it is in the one that he is not judging. But as he talks to you, listen attentively and see what must be washed within him. And you aid him. In your own mind's eye, Rewrite the script that you heard, and when you leave him, just imagine you heard a more lovely conversation than the one you did hear. Just rewrite it. Rewrite it for him, and in some strange way, lift him up within you, for that's your task. It's my task. We aren't here to condemn. We are here to redeem. Having awakened, we have found Christ in us as our own imagination. And so our duty, as it is said, Christ's duty is to do the will of him that sent me. And the will of him that sent me is that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing. But I shall raise it up again. And I raise it up by encountering someone and then finding him down. I raise him up within myself. I simply hear what I want to hear from him. Now, my voice you are hearing this morning, you could take the tone, listen attentively, and you will hear this tone within you. When you hear the tone within you, then you put upon that tone the word that you want to hear. And having put it upon it, listen and do not move until you hear this tone conveying these words, but make them noble. Don't take that tone and put upon it any word outside of the word, which which would imply a dignified, noble state, because you are not hurting anyone but self. If you take someone and you put words upon that tone or that voice and the words do not simply or do not imply a noble spirit, then you are only allowing that being to be down within you. You are not really performing your duty. So here this morning, believe these propositions, and then having believed them, do something about it. Go out and take what we have told you concerning inner speech. It is truly the greatest of the arts. You listen and only hear what you want to hear. You take your imaginary hand and put it into the hand of a friend, the imaginary hand of a friend. And there you congratulate him on his good fortune. If you want one to congratulate you, you allow yourself to be congratulated. You don't bend the hand or bend the head. You hold it high and accept the congratulation. And when you congratulate him, imagine that he is fully conscious of the good that is already his, and he accepts that congratulation and make the contact real. That is truly entering the kingdom of heaven. For you enter the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom is within you. It's not without. 
And you always enter the kingdom by loving, knowing communion. You can enter the kingdom at every moment of time, ride the streetcar, ride the buses, and with all the talking and gossiping, you can enter the kingdom and bless a friend by just imagining the friend is with you. And you are putting your hand into his and congratulating him on the good news you've heard concerning him. And listen as though he answered in kind. And in that moment, you have actually blessed him. He may be a thousand miles away, but from that moment on, things begin to stir within his world for you, have brought about a change within the structure of his mind. And every modification of the structure of a man's mind must result in corresponding outer changes. So you bring about these lovely changes within you. Look at the testimonial. One you heard this morning. Here's a pile of letters, and this is really a tight, tight pile. This is one of the biggest piles, I think, that you have ever received here. And this week's mail, I can't begin to tell you what a thrill it is to receive, one after the other. Not begging for help anymore, but giving praise and thanks for the principle that brought the help into the world. I can't tell you how many in the last two weeks have received an increase in income, increase of position, a better state of health. Things happened because they did something about it. They were not just warning or warming a seat here on Sunday morning and waiting for things to happen by association. They produced the thing by producing it first within themselves. So here this appeals to men who are big enough to stand on their own feet. Men who want spiritual meat and who have outgrown the milk given to sleeping man. So if you want the literal concept, you are still asleep and this really would not be the place to get it. For from this platform, you are going to be given meat, spiritual meat, for you must go out and do something about it. If you have the greatest knowledge in the world concerning foods and you didn't eat, you would die of starvation. And so it's not the knowledge of it, it's the application of it that counts. Now, this coming week, we start tomorrow, and it's an interesting one for those who like their Bible. Those who would like to put their mental teeth into it tonight and come tomorrow night with some intuitive knowledge of it, it's the 49th chapter of Genesis. You'll find many of them, I'll quote tomorrow, but in the 49th of Genesis, here's what it says. First of all, He calls his sons together to tell them their future, and there are 12 of them. It's Jacob calling his sons, but the fifth one. When he calls the fifth one, he tells them the scepter shall never drop, shall never depart from your hand. Never, not in eternity. His name is Judah, the one that fathered the line that flowered in Christ Jesus. When you read the genealogy as given to us in Matthew and Luke, uh, then it said of Judah that he took his f- uh, foal that may be foul, and it's spelled wrong. So then it said of Judah that he took his foul, and he tied it to a vine, and he took the colt of an ass and tied it to a good vine. And then he washed his garments in wine, and he washed his clothes in the blood of grapes. And his eyes were red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. Well, now, those of you who... Still would like to read that literally. You may get some satisfaction of washing your clothes in wine, 
I don't, I'd rather drink it. But some wash theirs in the blood of grapes, and then the teeth white with milk, and the eye bloodshot with wine. Well, now, that was one of, that was the one who fathered out of um, Thamar, the twins, that brought forth the line that flowered in Christ Jesus. So go back and read the genealogy of Judah and then see what Judah did and how he took two animals. One was a fowl and one was a colt. Now, I won't tell you the interpretation. You exercise your intuitive faculty and you come tomorrow night and you hear what we have have to say about the amethyst or the wine stone, how a man must make the amethyst, how a man must take his garments, a thing that clothes the mind of man and wash them in the blood of grapes, how a man not only must do it, but his eyes must become equally bloodshot with wine and his teeth white with milk. And we will show you tomorrow night why they placed upon him the scarlet robe and then placed upon him the most mystical of all, the purple robe. So as they placed them up to the very final act was the placing of the purple robe upon the man who had awakened, who was now ready to ascend on high to higher levels within himself. But you can't ascend until you first make the purple robe. And although we have orders in this world who would have scarlet robes and purple robes. No man can make it for you. And so it cannot be woven in any factory. It has to be woven from the factory within yourself. So tomorrow night, for those who are vitally interested in going deeper into the mysteries, our subject is the twelfth, an amethyst, the very last act of a man. The twelfth, for there are only twelve, Then comes the most, I would say, the least precious of all stones in the eyes of man. But in the eye of God, it's the most precious. And it's not the little thing you find among the stones. It's the one you find within yourself. So that's tomorrow's subject.